T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. That's the spelling test for the day. This is Johnny Rabbit. We're at your service. A a program I'm going to be doing in a couple of weeks, February 27th, and a Monday has to do with writing. We're going to be talking about writing over the next hour. This is writing, playwriting, being a critic, uh, all the basics of playwriting. We'll even have some samples of Kevin Colleen's holiday radio shows. And we'll talk about writing commercials, writing a book, getting things published, and so on. This is for Oasis. It'll be at the center of Clayton for Oasis. And that's Monday the 27th from 10.30 to 11.30. Just contact uh, Oasis in St. Louis, and they will give you all of the information. Speaking about writing, now here's a person who's really written a heck of a book. Um, who was, wait a minute, now, Charles Parsons. I should know, everybody should know that name, shouldn't they, John Lonius? Johnny, I think so. It's so great to be with you, by the way. I started in radio in, in the sense of media, and you uh, were the most famous radio person <laughs> that I knew, so it is a pleasure to actually <laughs> to meet you face-to-face, though we've been emailing for yeah, you know, a long time. months. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very nice. Well, thank you for the very nice compliment. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, writing, writing, writing. Now, you were you came up... Well, it, uh, first of all, let me say that what, uh, according to what I see here, you are a media and technology executive. Correct. What does that mean? Well, uh, that means that I do a lot of work uh, in commercials and brand films. So if you've mm-hmm. seen work from Panera, we've done work for them, uh, Goddard School commercials. Oh, yeah, I've uh, seen the, that. The BJC work that, that's currently in St. Louis. So um, I, I've had a chance to work uh, across government, education, technology, and, and all media sectors. And so uh, I'm the president of Vidza Media and the chief operating officer of GenieCast. Vidzu. What does that what does that word mean? Uh, so V stands for velocity. Vid stands for video. And zoo, believe it or not, is a Japanese word that can describe telling a story through pictures. So with velocity, we tell amazing stories through pictures, and that's all a part of uh, of our company collective called the Nitrous Effect. Another great name, the there. Nitrous Effect. That's <laughs> right, so something an outer space thing from Plan Nine from outer space with yeah. Bela Lugosi. Hey, look at is that a camera I see over there? Documentation, yeah. huh? Yeah, camera, yeah, we got everything. You have your camera person here, Amy. <laughs> Indeed. And I thank you, Amy, for for joining your husband. And what about the mental health advocate? Yeah, so I am a hypnotist, so a hypnotherapist. Is so- that why I'm feeling so strange right now? <laughs> I, I wondered what was wrong. Well, I get to work with a lot of people, especially around peak performance. You know, at the end of the day, you know, we, we've learned over the past, you know, 40 years, the power of suggestion, mm-hmm. the power of really, you know, positive thinking. And and uh, that's something that I'm really interested in uh, that, that has been very helpful, not only in business, but also in, in personal life. Great. 
And then the last, but I, I'm not sure what it means, a world fragrance expert. Yeah, so, so when I was uh, nine years old, I started studying two things. It was martial arts and world incense slash fragrance traditions. And so we, we know that every culture and every religion has had incense uh, since the beginning of recorded history. We know the archaeological evidence of incense is 35,000 years old. So hmm. I get to kind of put all this together across all my projects and all my jobs. Wow, that is fascinating. Now, do you have incense holders, burners, or whatever they are? A yeah, collection absolutely. Of them? I, I have a lot of uh, 17th and 16th century incense burners. Actually, I got to work with uh, Selkirk Auction House uh, mm-hmm. a couple of weeks ago looking at a lot of their new lots. And so that's one of the things I enjoy doing is is going to small museums and auction houses around the country who who may need some you know extra assistance and really looking at some interesting um, you know, objects that they may have available or in their collection that have been mislabeled. So are most of these Oriental or do they come from other countries? Um, they come from all over. And, and really, that was the impetus for this book. So in 2006, when I arrived at Washington University in St. Louis after six years with a number of different intelligence agencies, um, I uh, was a part of the original crew at the Mildred Lane Kemper Art Museum that was tasked with opening that museum, which opened in October of 2006. And what was really extraordinary about that experience was that I had no idea who Charles Parsons was. And and Charles Parsons, you know, lived from 1824 to 1905. He Mm -hmm. was a banker, businessman, financier, Civil War colonel, world traveler, author, art collector. But at the time, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. And so the the director of the museum, uh, her name is Sabina Ackman, and she's wonderful. She said, I want to take a look at you know, the 19th century collection that in many ways kicked off WashU's art collection. Wow. And so we were able to take a look at Charles Parsons' seminal collection of paintings from people like Corot, Church, Gifford, and Innes, as well as a lot of his Japanese and Chinese incense, um, wow. you know, uh, you know, objects. And so one of the pieces in, in the collection was a Tokugawa incense burner. A what? A Tokugawa. So so they were the ruling. What is that? So they were the ruling class of Japan from 1603 uh, uh, to about 1868. And it was so, but the, the bowl, well, the, the incense burner was labeled as a bowl. And, and I turned to her and I said, that's not a bowl. Mm-hmm. And she said, what is it? I said, that's a Tokugawa incense burner. And she said, but it says bowl. And and in the 19th century, it was not uncommon for museums around the country to have things that were mislabeled. Right? Well, it happens today. Exactly. It- uh, and, and so she tasked me with writing an essay. And then the essay started the research into this extraordinary forgotten St. Louis. You're not kidding. Extraordinary and forgotten. I've talked, uh, mentioned the name to several people who are historians and they say, I don't know anything about Charles Parsons. Now, the book, The Life and Times of Missouri's Charles Parsons, between art and war. And what does it mean between art and war? Yeah, so for me, when I was looking at really what, you know, what Charles Parsons was committed to was really the, the, the common good and really making a difference for people through education and through art. And if it had not have been for the Civil War to really... Um, propel Charles Parsons to luminaries of the day like William T. Sherman and, and uh, you know, General Grant, who he became close with during mm-hmm. the war and, and quite literally moved their armies uh, for success, uh, Charles would not have achieved the, the, the status that, that he achieved post-Civil War. 
Hmm. Now, they are all from St. Louis. Grant and Sherman and Parsons. Yeah, Wait, ab- did they know each other here? And were their neighbors? Absol- or? Yeah, well, so absolutely. So that, that's a great question. So Charles Parsons lived at 2804 Pine. Which Ooh, not t- far from here, <laughs> not far just west of Jefferson, two yeah. blocks west of Jefferson on the south side of the street. Exactly. But the house is not there anymore. Uh, no, it's actually what it is, is that it's the Wells Fargo um, a generator right now. That's the, <laughs> that's the exact place where the house was. But uh, General Sherman lived at 912 Garrison, mm-hmm. which was only about five or six blocks right. away. So what's interesting about their relationship, and I and I write about this in the, let, uh, in, in the book, is that William T. Sherman learned to landscape paint before the beginning of the Civil War. And hmm. R- Robert Anderson, who, who was running Fort Sumner, um, was teaching uh, General well, Sherman at that time how to paint landscapes. Well, after the war, Charles Parsons was beginning to collect his, his landscapes and this and that. And so we can see how Sherman and Parsons became very good friends. There's numerous letters between them, mm-hmm. but they were connecting on art they were connecting through banking because a lot of people forget that General Sherman was a banker right. in San Francisco. Um, and then also was a quartermaster, which is what Parsons was at, at the beginning of the Civil War. Now, what's the picture? There's a photograph of a building. What building is that on the uh, front of your book? So what you're looking at there is the first art museum west of the Mississippi, and that was located at 19th and Locust. Just up the street from us, really. Absolutely, yep. And now, unfortunately, it's now just a warehouse. But but uh, that building was torn down, I think, around 1940. Um, but this museum building would eventually go on to become the City Art Museum, which would then become the St. Louis Art Museum, as well as the Mildred Lane Kemper Art Museum at Washington University in St. Louis. So what was on display in the original art museum may be partially on display in Kemper or our City Art Museum? Ab- absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so pieces like um, Enoni uh, from Harriet Hosmer. So Charles Parsons supported... A, a female sculptor in mm-hmm. in the 19th century named Harriet Hosmer, who would go on to become one of the first internationally acclaimed female sculptors. And one of one of her great works at the Mercantile Library and Art Museum. This is a fabulous work. Don't don't ever touch it. People like to touch it. And the security <laughs> guard is always don't touch that. Don't keep your hands to put your hands in your pocket. My favorite story about about sculpture and 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 especially Harriet Hosmer was that when I first arrived at the Canberra Art Museum, I didn't have museum experience before I started working at Washington University. Hmm. And one day I walked into the exhibition preparator space and there were about six people taking Q-tips, putting them in their mouth and then and then rubbing down uh, one of the sculptures uh, by Harriet Hosmer. And I was oh like, what? I said, what are you doing? And they said, well, the acid in our mouth is just enough to, to take away the pollution oh. without without uh, damaging the art. It was fascinating. <laughs> that is fascinating. Yeah. That's really incredible. How long did it take you to write this book? Well, oh, so, wait a minute. Let me ask yeah. Amy. Amy, how long did it take him to write this book? <laughs> She's kind of looking at me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I started researching it uh, uh-huh. in 2007. And where did you start? Where did the research take you? To what places? Well, so so the research took me all over the world. Oh. Because so if it had not been for Google digitizing a lot of the 
um, you know, collections around 2006, 7, 8, and 9, this book could have never been written because mm-hmm. there's so much information on persons that just wasn't available online. And so you had to, you know, kind of, you know, do the regular research trail where you're where you're calling different organizations. Mm-hmm. You, you know, the Missouri Historical Society, specifically Molly Codner, uh, has been such a huge support for this. Like she was so, con- you know, kind, uh, you know, to pull out literally uh, 27 boxes that <laughs> the Missouri Historical Society has. Wow. But but it connected me all around the world. Um, and uh, but, you know, it, it took. It took 10 years of research and then a good year and a half to actually write. Write almost every day, I would assume? Uh, almost every day. I And people think I joke when I say this, but I physically injured myself writing this book. How? And just the amount of sitting, oh. the amount of staring. Like, sure. it was my first book, and I didn't know some of the some of the hacks that you can now, <laughs> you know, do to, to kind of speed the process. Um, but it, I, I learned a great deal, and it's such an it's such an interesting book connecting so much to St. Louis and the 19th century, and 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 the positive difference that you know he made in in St. Louis at a time that was you know so vital. John Lonius is here. He's talking about his book, The Life and Times of Missouri's Charles Parsons, the guy we're going to get to know, and we'll hear more about all of this. And then in a little while, we're going to. Look back at the 1904 World's Fair and what's still around. You're listening to At Your Service, Johnny Rabbit, KMOX. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. I hope I'm not being hypnotized. You haven't hypnotized me. Does a person know if they've been hypnotized? Yes, or? actually they do. I mean, you know, there's a lot of misconceptions around hypnosis, but it, it, what it ultimately is is that are you open to suggestions that are positive, have you be more happy, more effective? Um, You know, I I think that stage hypnosis has done a really disservice uh, to to what's possible. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're able to, you know, you know, really take on positive thoughts every single day, you're going to be that more effective. And that that's ultimately what it's about. Okay, life and life and times in Missouri's Charles Parsons. Here's your gift. You and Amy for coming here today, John Launius. That's from the Missouri Botanical Garden, or as most people in St. Louis still call it, Shaw's Garden. Love it. So you can go there anytime, enjoy yourself. But what about Henry Shaw and, and this Charles Parsons character? Well, so Charles Parsons and, and Henry Shaw became friends. And uh, so Charles Parsons was one of the investors in the uh, two Lindell Hotels. Mm-hmm. They both... Down on Washington. Correct. And they both, you know, burned down. Right. And so when you go to Tower Grove Park and you see all of the stone gates 
and the area of the park known as the Ruins, those all came from the Linda Hotel. And so Charles Parsons and Henry Shaw became friends through that. And Shaw basically asked Parsons, can you, can I, may I have the rubble uh, from, from, the, from the hotels? And that's what you see now in Tower Grove Park. Interesting. And some, everybody has seen that. Yeah. With that little lake there, yeah. the, uh, it had a, a, I was called a sailing pond or something originally. I don't know if anybody sails on it or not anymore. <laughs> I have no idea. Now, you've got a show, a program coming up, and then the 5th of March, that's not that far off. Yeah, not that far off. So so at the uh, Chatelon Demenil Mansion on March 5th, uh, I'm going to be giving a talk from 1 to 3. And what's interesting about this is that, yes, it's a book talk, but mm-hmm. it, you're going to get information that either couldn't be put in the book or it's information that I've learned actually after writing it. Oh. Uh, and I'm also going to give a demonstration of pure Japanese incense that relates to Charles Parsons' art collection. And most people, when you say the word incense, they think of the 1960s or, mm-hmm. or they think of really— right. Or they think of bad smells. Well, uh, this is 100% natural. Uh, it is unlike anything you have ever experienced unless you, you've been to Japan. Hmm. Um, and so it's it's an extraordinary way to, to move both of these things together. And I'm so grateful uh, to the Chatelon Deminal House Foundation uh, for, you know, setting this up for, for March 5th, 1 to 3. There's a couple different ways that you can participate. Um, for, for $30, you will get the book. You're going to get the experience. Uh, you're also going to be assisting uh, the, the mansion. And so uh, there, there's already a number of people, uh, but we're limiting it to 75 people. So if, if you want to attend, uh, and it's going to be great, so you can do this a couple ways. One, you can go to Deminal.org, which is their website. Uh, you can also send me an email at charlesparsonsbook at gmail.com. I'll say that again, mm-hmm. charlesparsonsbook at gmail.com, and we will get you connected. Uh, but, 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 but Frederick Adams, Atwood the third, uh, fantastic to work with uh, at the at, at the mansion there. So very excited about March fifth. That is that's great, uh, and it's um, boy the book. What it sells for twenty three ninety nine. So yeah. <laughs> you're really getting a good deal. Now yeah. you said things that couldn't be in the book. What does that mean? Well, you know when you know when you start to write a book, you you, you the publishers will say, well, what do you think the length is going to be? Mm-hmm. And so I said between sixty five and seventy thousand words. Uh, and they agreed to that, and they said X number of images. And so there's a lot of images and, and a lot of information that, you know, I think is very, very interesting that I think adds to the story that that necessarily couldn't be in the book after editing. And so, so the so the so the book talks are a way to expand the conversation. There are ways to you know connect a lot of other information. Like we know that Charles Parsons was deeply connected with the 1904 World's Fair, hmm. but by the time that that fair comes around, you know he's he's a year away from from, from yeah from passing wow. exactly and so his his adopted nephew Charles Parsons Pettis uh, is is the person who is set to um, you know inherit the the collection and 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 the fortune that he amassed and so there's all these different connections so like for example Halsey C Ives who was the first museum director west of the Mississippi he was the art director for the 1904 World's Fair but he was also the art director for the 1893 Chicago World's Fair and so you start to see this connection between you know the the ways that very large events uh, across the country we're, we're connected, and uh, and it just it's it's a different way to tell the history of not only St. Louis, the region, but also America. But that is very all of this is very interesting, and people will learn a whole lot about St. Louis in this. This is not 
just a book about a person. It's really about St. Louis. It, it is, ab- absolutely. And, and also somebody who, you know, Charles Parsons believed in art and thought that art was going to continue to expand uh, in a way that would, you know, um, you know, keep his name in the forefront. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it just didn't. You know, he, he, he put his money in art as opposed to buildings. You know, his, his, ah. one, of, one of his best friends was Robert S. Brooking, and we know Brookings Hall at Wash U, sure. but we don't know Charles Parsons Hall because there wasn't one. Mm-hmm. But uh, there was Parsons College in Fairfield, Iowa. Which, no, did he found that college? Well, so so he founded it with with his two brothers at the request of his father. His father wanted to have a Christian college in the Midwest, but he passed away and uh, b- before seeing that come to fruition because of the Civil War and a number of other things, it took them until 1875 to start Parsons College. Now, what's interesting about this is that in 1973, there's a Maharishi that comes along oh, who's, yes. who was teaching the Beatles yep. um, and says, you know what, we're going to buy Parsons College and we're going to make it the the Maharishi Maharesh University. Uh, and there's actually a documentary that'll be out later in in the year that I'm a part of, mm. um, that um, Dick DeAngelis and and uh, Fairfield Productions put together about the founding of Parsons College. So very interesting. Anything on YouTube that you can see about this? Yeah. So um, I have a YouTube channel for the book. It's just it's just Charles Parsons, and uh, I took one minute excerpts of almost all the chapters of the book, so you can get a glimpse into each one of the chapters again, because it's such a niche historical subject, and 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 Charles Parsons isn't a household name. Right. It gives people the 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 you know a real easy way to say, oh, okay, wow, I am going to learn a lot. This mm-hmm. is going to be interesting. What about uh, Charles Parsons' books? Did he write any books? He wrote one book. Uh, he he wrote notes of notes of travel in 1894 and 1895. It was only for private circulation, so. So there Hmm. were were only about 600 of these books produced. Um, I have one of the original ones, which is actually dedicated to Halsey C. Ives, who I was just talking about with the 1904 World's Fair. So it's probably the best one that I could own. How many copies of The Life and Times of Missouri's Charles Parsons between Art and War printed? Um, so, so they're printing on demand, uh, but from, from from what I've heard, so it's a five star rated book on, on Amazon and in and in other places online. Great. But, uh, I think there's been at least twenty five thousand. Wow. That that have been printed. That's and, and huge. Yeah, it's huge. But you know, it's what I love about this interview, Johnny, is that is that. You know, the book launched on February 13th, 2020. Mm-hmm. A week later, all of the shutdowns for COVID oh, yes. started. Yeah. And so this this book has really found its way into people's hearts and lives in in, in, in very interesting ways. Um, and so I really appreciate the time today. Well, we appreciate your time. And thank you. Now, what are you going to do with that video you've just done? You're not going to be selling that online, oh, are you? Oh, no, no. I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna put it up on the Charles Persons YouTube page right. so, so that, you know, People can see our conversation. Thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you, Amy, for escorting your associate. We appreciate that very much. Stick around. We're going to the World's Fair. In a way, we really are. That's next with Diane Rodebacher. I'm Johnny Rabbit at your service at KMOX. Hey, Rabbit, at your service in KMOX. Look here. It's uh, Diane Rodebacher. You you were waylaid by the dogs, the costume dogs and Gravoy leaving the parade, huh? That's correct. Wait a second. Hold on a second. He's got to turn on your mic. I don't know what happened here. Are you okay? Let's see. Over here. Say something. Yes. Oh, yeah. There were uh, quite a few dogs out there today on Gravoy. Good. And were they, they have costumes? Oh, sure. Of course. <laughs> Some the people did, too. <laughs> I bet they did. 
Oh, my gosh. It's, that's always such a great event. And thank goodness they had a good day for it, too. Oh, yeah, beautiful, beautiful weather. Wonderful. Really, really, really nice. Well, you have two books, uh, one we will uh, dwell on today, but one we forgot to mention, Famous Firsts of St. Louis. That book is still in print, still available. You can still buy it where? Yeah, I had it reprinted recently, and actually it's at the History Museum in the Loft gift shop down at Sappington House. Have a Cow Restaurant on Lafayette. Now, wait and a second. Have a Cow yeah. Restaurant. Have a Cow Cattle Company Restaurant. It's uh, 2700 block of Lafayette, one of my favorite places. Yes, it's a, it's a great place. But and they have a great gift shop. I, sort of, I don't know what you could call it. They have a lot of weird stuff in there. Right. You can sit there and eat and shop at the same time. And get your book. on the wall. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's terrific. And the Missouri History Museum. Now, it's still shining. Now, this book came out how long ago? It was 20, oh, almost two, 20 years ago? Or? 2003, right. It right, was. Right before the sun of the 1904 World's Fair. Gosh, and it still sells. Still shining is still selling. I'm uh, happy about a, that. It's a very nice book, uh, and it's, uh, again, if you, you can find it just uh, going to any bookstore, and if they should have it, or you can get it, get it at the library if you don't want to buy it, of course. Right. You can, a, can you get it online, like Amazon or... Right, there's some resellers online that sell it. Mm-hmm. Used or new, I guess. Um, both, I believe. Both, and uh, it sells for 19.95. Is that well, still the same price, or has it gone up? Oh, it went up a little bit since uh, 2003. What is it now, you know, $50? <laughs> I think $22.95. Well, that's not so bad. <laughs> and I found a, an article that I'd mentioned to you was in the paper that I'd been saving, and this is from Sunday, November 20th of last year. Where did the World's Fair go? Uh, you're, I mentioned several times in the article. I can't find. Oh, here's his name, Jim Winterman. I don't know Jim. Is he from St. Louis? You know, um, I you, believe so. I talked with him. Mm-hmm. Um, you read a nice article, article in there and about yes. things. You know, where did this stuff go? Everybody thinks, well, it was all gone. It was all torn down. It's not the case. There's a lot of stuff. Um, now, we're talking about 119 years ago, though. And our expert in the subject, Diane Rademacher, here at KMOX Studio B, we have nothing in here other than this book to talk about the World's Fair. And there's no artifact here. But there are, artif- of course, artifacts and souvenirs that are in a lot of collections. Oh, sure. A lot of people collect World's Fair items. Who? Of- Who collects them? Well, you know, I think a lot of people have um, a family connection to the World's Fair. Um, I certainly do. Um, How my- is that? Well, my dad was born in 1904. Mm-hmm. He was a little older when I was born. And uh, actually, his uncle was a stockholder in the World's Fair and so the, the family story was that Dad went to the World's Fair as a baby. And uh, so I was always interested because, because of that. And then um, my sister and I, we both wrote papers in school. Sure. And in the early 1970s, my brother-in-law was working down at the Union Electric Ashley plant down on the riverfront and told me about an old air compressor that was taken <laughs> offline, but it had been from the World's Fair. Oh, my gosh. And I thought, wow, I'd love to get a picture of that. So he got permission, and we went down there on a Saturday and uh, took a picture of this Polaroid picture, still have it, and uh, started a scrapbook then, collecting different oh, articles and items from the fair that were still left. And then in 1986, the World's Fair Society, 1904 World's Fair Society, mm-hmm. was founded by uh, gentleman Max Storm. And uh, people who were interested in the fair, collectors, uh, historians, uh, would convene monthly. And I found out about a whole bunch more things from the fair. Sure. And thought, well, you know, somebody should give a program to our organization about what's left. And I thought, well, probably should be me. It should be. And it was. (laughs) And it is. Well, the 1904 World's Fair Society, you're really an active organization. Mike Truax and the gang, I mean, they are... 
Right. I mean, it, uh, it seems like every week I'm getting another mailer or something, <laughs> usually with your picture inside doing oh, sure. something or other. <laughs> yeah, it's been going strong since 1986. We have wow. about 300 members. So. That's a lot. That's yeah. uh, today. I mean, we're, we're talking about something that was 119 years ago. Right. And yesterday we had a meeting, and some people came in from Colorado. They're mm. members, and periodically they come in and join us. And yeah, well, who, who are these members? Where, can somebody join? Uh, oh, do sure. You, Anybody can what join. What do you do? Um, well, you could go online to the World's Fair Society website, and I believe there's an application out there. Which is to put in World's Fair yeah, Society? I, I don't have the exact uh, address, but... Well, I'm um, sure you could find it easily enough. Sure. And it is open. To, I mean, there are all kinds of people that are in there, oh, and you do sure, have yeah. a lot of activities and lunches and dinners and picnics. and. The, it's really a fun group, and I've made wonderful friends over the years. So, so you said yesterday there was a meeting? There was. Down and at, where? It was down at the Central Library, just across the street from where we are. What room were you in? Well, we were in the um, St. Louis Collections room, mm-hmm. um, and then Makes we had a, a general tour of the oh, library. Oh, what a, yeah, that is great to take that some tour. Some details, yeah, it was it was very interesting, very good docent. Now, tell us uh, what what's the biggest thing that remains? Would you say? Well, of course, everybody knows about the art museum mm-hmm. and the the bird cage. Oh, but, yeah. um, there's there's some houses here in St. Louis that... Um, well, not, not everybody knows about the Art Museum and the Birdcage. Let's go, the Art Museum, it's not the whole Art Museum that we see today that was there. The east and west wings were not permanent. But the center, the main building of the Art Museum, dates from the World's Fair. So, right. I mean, there, and this is something you can go in and you can see. And, of course, the Smithsonian uh, flight cage at the zoo which right. is still there, and all the birds seem to enjoy it there. And you can can you still walk through it? You know, used to be know. able to. I yeah, to. I think that years ago you could. I'm not sure what it's like today. I haven't been there in a while, but um, you know, it's interesting that the the bird cage at the zoo during 1904 there were two sections, and they had large birds on the one side and smaller mm-hmm. birds oh. on the other side, and there was a covered walkway. And so people couldn't walk through, which you know uh, was duplicated then in recent years. And um, after the the fair, the city had the rights to buy the birdcage, and which they did. And uh, the Smithsonian, however, took back all its birds. And so, <laughs> they, oh. yes. <laughs> so St. Louis had to come up with you know its own bird supply. And so private citizens even donated birds. I read. So that's how. That's um, interesting. Interesting got to see. Hey, the, the World's Fair Pavilion. That's not from the World's Fair, though. Most people say, oh, that's the World's Fair. It was there. It wasn't. It's not. No, I think our fair was one of the few to make a profit, and so they used those profits to create the World's Fair Pavilion and also the Jefferson Memorial Building. 1909 for the Pavilion and the Missouri History Museum, Jefferson Memorial Building. That went up in 1913. yes. River to Pair is still there, but it's (laughs) those big things underground where you don't want to go in. But it it used to flood. Well, that that intersection used to flood a lot. There's some great photographs of the past. Now, uh, the observation wheel, the big Ferris wheel, that's gone. Right, that's gone. And, you know, there's been this urban myth here in St. Louis about where the axle is. And mm-hmm. some people have said that it was uh, uh, demolished and uh, cut up and salvaged uh, for, you know, other uses. And other people are still looking for it. And there's a professor at Washington University, and she has used uh, ground-penetrating radar and, you know, some <laughs> other know. scientific methods to... To see if that axle still exists somewhere in the park. It doesn't. I, I like the urban legend. Uh, you know. but and if it's anybody gone. should find it, I hope she does. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, well, it's really been proven that it's gone. It is gone. It is went back home to Chicago. 
Well, not all in one one part. Yeah. Now the uh, what about some other buildings? The press building. What was the press building? Oh. Well, obviously for the media. Right. The press building was actually the first building uh, put up at the fair. Um, and it had been used in previous fairs because it's where the journalists and correspondents would meet mm-hmm. to, to write their stories about what you know they were seeing. And uh, that was actually relocated after the fair in part. Uh, it doesn't look quite exactly like it did uh, initially, but it's very pretty. It's in Webster Groves. And, oh, uh, what street? It is on, let's see, it is on Clark Avenue. And uh, it's, it's very lovely um, to, to see. You know, Wait, some, what is in it? Is it a home? Oh, it's a home, yes. Yes, Hmm. people live there now. Most of these buildings that were relocated have become homes. And a few of them have been for sale over the years. And Mm -hmm. when I would find out about it, I'd I'd go and take a look. Of course. Haven't been in that one, however. Now, what about the uh, Connecticut State Pavilion? That's not here. That's right. No, the Connecticut State Pavilion, a beautiful pavilion. It has a lovely portico on the one side. It kind of looks like the White House, actually. Hmm. And uh, that was moved to Lafayette, Indiana, um, not too far from Purdue University. And um, it's it was a home, a 10,000-square-foot home, um, and the people who owned it knew that, you know, of its historical significance, and they collected a lot of artwork and a lot of artifacts from the 1904 fair, and they periodically had uh, house tours. Well, now it's a museum in oh. Lafayette, and it has the largest collection of Indiana art, and it's really quite interesting to see. It looks almost exactly like it did at the 1904 fair except in 1904 it was white in color, and now it's a buff color. So this was not made of staff, then? Well, I'm not exactly sure what those wall panels were made of, mm-hmm. but um, it was, was it, able to be deconstructed and then yeah. put on flatbed rail cars and then moved uh, out to India. Because a lot of the buildings or the structures, a lot of the statuary, over a thousand statues made of staff. Staff. Which was a temporary mixture of plaster of Paris, concrete, water, hemp. And, of course, a lot of it went over wood framing, which was not meant to last either. And so most of the fair is gone, but there are all practical purposes. You know, probably 98% of it is gone somewhere, probably in landfills from years ago, or portions of it were reused for building a house or something, getting some of the framing and so on. Uh, the, uh, the apotheosis of yes. St. Louis. A lot of people say, well, that used to be right at the uh, the entrance to the World's Fair where the History Museum is located, but it wasn't. Well, the, yes. Not it, the it, statue that is oh, there the sta- wasn't. No, 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 it was not. It was down uh, in one of the plazas, and it was uh, made out of staff yeah. and uh, by Charles Niehaus. And yes. then after the fair, it was recast in bronze, and now it's located um, in front of the Art Museum on Art Hill. And Nehas didn't get the uh, commission. It was somebody else because his price was too high. Oh, really? So they I hired another <laughs> person to do it. Uh, the, the, uh, a pl- I don't know if it's a plaque or a, this, the, as a signing of the Louisiana Purchase uh, Treaty right. or, or agreement. Uh, that was also temporary, but it has been recast. Right. That was on the front of the Louisiana Purchase Monument um, at the World's Fair. And it was recast in bronze, and one copy is at the History Museum in the Loggia area, mm-hmm. and the other copy is at the Jefferson City State Capitol. Um, it's uh, in a little plaza above the, the Missouri River. We're going to come back with you, Diane Rademacher, talk more about what was at the 1904 World's Fair and some of what is today that you can see, not necessarily in St. Louis, but all around our country. So the fair lives on, lives on right now, on At Your Service. With yours truly, Johnny Rabbit, you're listening to KMOX.
That's us, and we are here at your service. Well, let's see. First things first. Now, wait a minute. Let's see. What's for? Oh, here. Here's your uh, two tickets, Diane Rademacher, our guest, courtesy of the Missouri Botanical Garden. Oh, That's, right. Isn't that a Thank great place? So what is. a place it would be to go. And they actually have two uh, lanterns that were in the Japanese Garden in 1904. No, I didn't know that. that. Where that, are they? Well, they're in the Japanese Garden today at the Botanical Garden. That, oh, my yeah. gosh. That yeah. is something to see. And that would be, Well, it's a great festival that comes up there every year. Um, and then you're going to be making a special appearance at our program on writing. That's going to be on the 27th, Monday the 27th. This is for Oasis. It'll be at the Center of Clayton. Oasis, Center of Clayton, Monday, February 27th at 10.30. We're going to talk about writing essays and stories and commercials and, and plays and even doing a, a couple of pages of a Kevin Colleen holiday radio show from KMOX, I think uh, 22 years ago or so. Well, we were started off our conversation talking about dogs uh, tying up traffic and gravoy from the Purina Pet Parade and their costumes, but there was a famous dog at the World's Fair. Yes, in the late 19th century, um, there was the dog Oni. He was the mascot of the railway mail service. And to me, he was sort of like the Lassie or Rin Tin Tin of my day. <laughs> and he was a little orphan dog that wandered into the Albany, New York post office and kind of found a little bed on the top of some mail sacks. So the mail clerks, they, they adopted him, and uh, they started taking him on the mail trains, and he traveled all over the U.S. And to kind of document where he had been, uh, they would put little mail, mail bag tags on his collar, little metal hmm. tags. And so he accumulated probably hundreds of those. And when there were too many for the collar, they gave him a little jacket. And so they had these little tags all over the jacket. Oh, and he was uh, he was shown at dog shows and conventions. And he traveled around the world. I mean, this was quite the dog. Well, in 1897, he was a little bit older. And uh, he kind of went out on his last trip. And he, he bit a postal worker. Oh, no. And as a result, he was shot. <laughs> oh, no. But I know. Dramatic. A, a very sad Oh, sad what a sad end to Oni. But he was preserved by a taxidermist and then exhibited, um, and he was at our 1904 World's Fair um, in a little case and with his little jacket and metal bagging tags. And unable and, to bite anybody else. Exactly. It, right. where, where's Oni today? Well, today he is at the National Postal Museum in Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. and he's uh, on display in a case, and uh, they have all sorts of souvenirs related to Oni, and uh, that's that's. The story. Of you, know, you mentioned some lanterns at uh, Shaw's Garden, at Missouri Botanical Garden. There are some other lights around a couple for sure. Right. Oh, yes. Um, I call them the bud lights. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Great Britain had a beautiful uh, replica of the uh, orangery from Kensington Palace that was its uh, display home at the 1904 World's Fair. And its banquet hall had a lovely chandelier that, well, actually two of them, that now grace O'Connell's Pub on South Kings Highway. And then the Belgium Pavilion at the fair, it had a hot vine chandelier, and that is now in the atrium at the brew house at Anheuser-Busch. Wow, that's are interesting things to see, and it's still in use today. Yes, and then the French Pavilion he had two lovely large chandeliers, and Anheuser-Busch acquired both of those, and one is in the Clydesdale Stable, at the Pestalozzi location, mm -hmm. and the other one is at in the lobby of the Adolphus Hotel down in Dallas, Oh, my Texas. gosh. Yes, and they're very big and very beautiful, and they're emblazoned with eagles. 
That and, is wonderful. Uh, not sure if the Eagles were original or added yeah. on later. <laughs> now, there's some other thing. The Oklahoma Territory Pavilion. This is before the Oklahoma became a state, but they had a pavilion at the World's Fair. Right, yeah. Oklahoma wasn't a state yet, uh, not till 1906, but they had a territory building, a very lovely building with uh, arches and in the Moorish design. Well, after the fair, it was moved to El Reno, Oklahoma, and it became the headquarters for the... Um, the, one of the uh, organizations down there, the Elks Club. Still there, and, though. And it's still there. Yeah, it's it's been modified somewhat, but still reflects some of the original design. What about Vulcan, the statue, the big, the big statue? Yeah, 56 feet tall. It was the largest cast iron statue in the world. It was exhibited by the city of Birmingham, Alabama, to promote their steel making from the iron ore that's in the area. Mm-hmm. And uh, after the fair, it was... Uh, after our fair, it was relocated at the state fairgrounds in Alabama. And it was kind of used uh, for different purposes to advertise items like soft drinks and mm. ice cream cones <laughs> and pickles. <laughs> oh, um, and then they thought it needed a more dignified location. So now it's at the top of Red Mountain down in Birmingham, and it stands atop a 120-foot open-air tower. And you can actually go up in the tower in Sea Vulcan. Oh, uh, my gosh. It's quite impressive. It would be impressive. Well, I think we have time for one more thing. Let's see. What could they... Well, some of the, the, the organ, the pipe organ oh, that was in organ. Festival Hall. Right. St. Louis had, you know, probably the world's largest pipe organ that was inside a Festival Hall, which was the focal point of the fair in front of right. uh, the Art Museum. On the Hall, Cascades Hall. were right there. Right. And after the fair, um, it was relocated to Philadelphia. It was called the Wanamaker Organ because mm-hmm. it was in Wanamaker's department store, okay. which has since become Macy's. Yeah. And still now, there. Still there. It has... a. Um, almost 29,000 pipes now, mm-hmm. and uh, they give concerts twice a day. And was in Philadelphia not too long ago, and actually did you hear it? A little concert, yeah. Well, be darned, that would be exciting from our fair. And it's very beautiful. I mean, how they have it uh, placed in the in the store. It's very well, you've lovely. given us a lot of good information, Diane Rademacher. Thank you so much for taking your time away oh, from your you. Super Bowl activities. Thank you. My your pleasure. book still shining. Uh, by Diane Rademacher and also Famous Firsts of St. Louis. We need to talk about that another time. Oh, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Johnny Rabbit, KMOX. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.